Welcome to the Healing Trauma Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Monique Coven. I'm the host. I'm a certified trauma recovery coach. I've worked for over 25 years as a social worker, and I'm a survivor. The Trauma Healing Podcast is for those who are healing trauma and finding ways to navigate through this messy, uncomfortable, and challenging recovery process. The intent of the podcast is to provide helpful information to validate, inspire you, support you on your healing recovery journey. You're going to hear stories from other survivors, trauma experts, and trauma therapists in the field that will provide information on effective trauma healing modalities, tools, techniques, skills, all in hopes of helping you heal. If you'd like to find out more information on trauma recovery healing, please go to my website at www.cptsdcoach.com. I also have an Instagram and Facebook page at cptsdcoach. Trauma shows up in the present through our body, and it's relived over and over again until we heal it and resolve it. It shows up somatically as experience in a visceral felt sense, and it comes out through sensations, reactions and responses, thoughts, behavior, whether that's being in constant hypervigilance and anxious or in a state of shutdown where we feel immobilized and frozen. To find out more about my trauma recovery coaching, you can visit my website at www.cptsdcoach.com. Hi, Deb. Welcome to the podcast again. Thank you. It's lovely to be invited back. It's nice to be here. Mm, I am so grateful. So uh, this time around, um, we've got lots of questions um, and I, I can't do all of them, but I've tried to pick a couple that people have with regards to the polyvagal theory and healing. Um, so I will ask you some of those directly from, from the listeners. But I thought about how some people might be listening for the first time and saying, what is the polyvagal theory? So maybe you could give a little intro. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's a good place to start. And then it will be fun to dive into questions. So polyvagal theory is a theory that was developed by my dear friend and um, colleague, brilliant neuroscientist, um, Stephen Porges. And it describes the way our autonomic nervous system um, works. And the autonomic nervous system is what I consider the heart of our daily experience. It's where everything begins, and it's made up of um, parasympathetic and sympathetic systems, which some of our listeners may have heard about. Um, and the nice thing about polyvagal theory is it lets us know that those systems work in a hierarchy. So there's a predictable order, and that predictability means we can understand how trauma has has impacted us and we can understand the pathway back to regulation and healing. So if we think about polyvagal theory for just a moment through three basic organizing principles, the first one that we just sort of touched on is hierarchy. 
And what polyvagal theory shows us is that we have three states that we travel between um, all the time. And we travel in, in small ways when we're just going through daily life. But when life gets challenging or we experience trauma or we have unresolved trauma sitting in our system, we can get pulled into more intense responses. And so the, the place where we're, we experience well-being, both physical well-being and psychological well-being, is in a state called ventral, which is a state of regulation and safety. And we can move through the world feeling safe enough connected enough, you know, organized enough, you know, it's not a place that everything is wonderful and perfect, but it's a place where we're, where we're, we know we can make it through the day feeling um, connected both to our own experience and to the world around us and to others. And then when life gets a bit too challenging, the next stop on the hierarchy is called sympathetic. And most people know that as fight and flight. Right. So that's the place where your survival energies activate and you either get angry or anxious. Right. And that's in response to to feeling that you are in danger in some way. And those might be cues from the past, from past experiences that, that come alive in the present, or it may be something in the present that's making us feel that way. And then if sympathetic fight and flight doesn't doesn't resolve our um, challenge in that moment, the third stop in the hierarchy is called dorsal. And that's the place of collapse, um, disconnection, shutdown. And for um, those of us with trauma histories, we might know it as the place where we feel sort of not here, right? And we're, we, we're, we're unable to um, have an active survival response. So it's more of a collapse of a foggy um, fuzzy, numb sort of place, even a place where we feel that we're we're no longer really here, right? Our, our physical presence is here, but we've left and gone somewhere else. Very common response, um, very common trauma response. So those are the three states. And, you know, they work in that hierarchy. So if I'm trying to recover from that place of collapse and disconnection, I have to move through a bit of sympathetic energy, mobilizing energy to reach regulation again. And that's the beauty of, of polyvagal theory is understanding these predictable pathways. Because if I know the pathways, then I know how to come back to regulation and I can begin to work with ways to um, not travel the survival pathways so often, which is what we do in our, our um, trauma healing, right? We, we it's not that we, those pathways don't exist. It's that we don't get pulled into them as often or as intensely. So that's hierarchy. The other two that I want to just briefly talk about, one is neuroception, which is really what we're talking about. It's the way the nervous system takes in cues of safety and unsafety. And it takes in these cues from inside our body. It's listening inside to see what's going on. So if you know you wake up and you're not feeling well, that's a cue of danger to your nervous system because it says something's wrong in there. Or if you feel your heart racing, it can be a cue of danger. All of these things um, are cues of danger from in the internal world. And then it listens in the environment. So it's really important to notice what's going on in the environment around us. You know, is, is it is it noisy? Is it quiet? Are there too many people? Is there nobody? What's going on that brings us either a sense of safety or unsafety? And then the third way is between people. So between nervous systems. And our nervous systems are always sort of checking out the other nervous system, right? Does it feel like that nervous system is sending a welcome or a warning, 
right? So that's always going on, micro moment to micro moment. And as neuroception takes in the cues, it then is going to move your nervous system into one of those places on the hierarchy that we just talked about. So they go together beautifully. And then finally, the third is co-regulation, which simply says that, that in order to survive and, and thrive you know, in, in our lives, we need to have safe connections with other mammals, with other humans. Right. And for those of us who have trauma histories, people are dangerous. Right. And because people are dangerous, this co-regulating piece that is essential for well-being um, can feel can be very challenging. Right. And, you know, many of the clients that I work with in the beginning, the co-regulating other is their pet is another mammal, but a pet a dog, a cat, a horse, right? That, that's the co-regulating mammal. And, and that's, a, that's a beautiful place to begin, right? A beautiful place to begin with, <clears throat> with an animal who, who, you know, shows up and, and, and looks at you and, and just is, is ready to, to be with. I was just thinking about my cat when I was talking about that and how he's just there. You know, he just shows up and he's just there. And I, you know, trust that he's he's um dependable in that way and and i take care of him so that's that reciprocity that that happens when we feel welcomed and safe enough in a, in, a, in another relationship so those are the organizing principles and the interesting thing is that as we begin to understand those we can then begin to shape our nervous system in new ways because it is shapeable well you know what the the patterns that we have in this moment are the patterns we have in this moment and they can be changed moment to moment. So I want everybody who's listening to really feel the hope that comes from polyvagal theory, from understand that, that all of these things shape our patterns of protection and connection and they can be reshaped. Such a hopeful message. Yeah. Yes. Uh, especially when they've not understood what's happening and are trying to like figure out in their head what's happening. Okay, I'll just try differently. But when you understand that it's coming from the nervous system, there are ways that we can show the nervous system the experiential feeling of being safe and create new new pathways. It's so exciting and hopeful. And I love what I loved what you said that that um it's not this is not a cognitive exercise, right? We we do bring our cognitive capacities, do it. But you know, as I like to tell my clients, if you could have thought your way out of this, you would have done it a long time ago. Right. It, it's not about thinking, it's about understanding the inner workings of your biology and then working with that. Yeah, I think this is why, you know, we cannot stop talking about this beautiful polyvagal theory because it has been the missing link for so many people in understanding what is going on with me. And so, yeah, just so grateful for this. So I guess I'll start with uh, my first question from a listener. So she was working or is working with a therapist who told her that she needs to start asking her nervous system and identify, which we know, you know, to learn where we are in our um, state, you know, am I safe? Am I getting dysregulated or am I in self-protection or am I collapsed in dorsal? And she said she feels like she's overanalyzing. She feels, she said, like a, a laboratory rat, but she wanted to ask, it's a general question, but um, okay, so what do I do with that? All that information I'm observing and now what? <laughs> 
Right. And, and, and that's the beautiful question. That's just the right question to be asking, because in the beginning, when we're getting to know our nervous system, you know, I call it a befriending process when we're befriending our nervous system, we're, we're really information gathering. And it sounds like that's, you know, where this person is, this listener is in a lot of information gathering. Once we gather information, then yes, then what do we do with it, right? So we spend enough time information gathering so that we get to know our patterns and what takes me out of regulation, what brings me back to regulation. And then we begin to create some practices, both to um, return from sympathetic or dorsal and also to anchor in ventral. And so, you know, there, there are lots of ways. I like to start with my clients with sort of the, the anchoring in ventral practices because once we have a, 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 a bigger foothold in ventral, then we can go to the sympathetic and, and dorsal places where our trauma stories are held right? And we can be with them and we can listen to them and we can work with them. But without being able to really be anchored in ventral, we can't do that. So so anchoring in ventral would be um, the next step. You've done a lot of information gathering. And, and, you know, truly, I think we information gather all our lives, right? I'm still befriending my nervous system because it keeps changing, which is lovely, but you have to keep getting to know it. And I, I talk to my clients about that. It's like making a friend, right? You know, and then um, cherishing that friendship. You know, you meet somebody and you make a connection. But if you want to have a deep ongoing friendship, you have to attend to it, which is what we do with our nervous system. So I get to know it, but then I keep returning to, to hear more and learn more about what's going on. And I understand how that can be really frustrating um, for clients. You know, it feels like, you know, again, do I have to do it again, right? So, so what I encourage is this mix of, you know, getting to know, listening, you know, the notice and name practice. You know, notice where you are, um, name the state, turn toward your experience for just a moment and listen. What is that state needing you to know in this moment? That's a beautiful way to keep in connection. And then we need to sprinkle in some skills, some skill building around um, bringing more ventral and anchoring there. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So good. <clears throat> so the second question I have, which I think it falls right in line with the first one is, <sighs> How do, I, how do you build capacity within your system when you have spent your life in survival mode fluctuating between fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, and therefore your system is very reactive and sensitive and very rarely in safe and social? when your window of tolerance is pretty small. I have a good understanding of myself, my triggers, my wounds, my reactions, but still can't catch that gap between trigger and reaction. My body takes over, I'm down a rabbit hole before I have a chance to stop, notice, and implement any tools I have learned. Any advice would be appreciated. Yeah, and and um, I'm, I, I hear the the... the both the question, the longing, and the suffering in, in, from that, that listener. And, and I'd like that listener to know that's not an uncommon response for trauma survivors. You know, it, it's, um, it's, it's challenging to find a moment in ventral and can feel very um, scary even 
to come to ventral and be there um, either by yourself or with, with your therapist, with another person. So, so I absolutely get it. And, you know, it is in the micro moments of being in ventral that we need to um, bring those into active awareness and begin to build on them because it, there's no one thing that's going to interrupt that, that pattern. And, and again, that pattern was built for survival. There, there are good reasons that your nervous system learned how to do that and to fluctuate between sympathetic and dorsal. That, you know, that loop is, is so common. Um, so, you know, I want to send a bit of appreciation, which I know is hard when we're stuck in it, but taking a step back, I can send some appreciation to your nervous system for, you know, helping you survive in this way. And then... You know, we need to figure out how do we begin to interrupt. And yes, that that um, that capacity to have a moment um, to um, think about me between you know the impulse and action, right, is is really challenging. So, I'd recommend a couple things. Um, one, I would um, set an intention to find. You know, you might start with one one glimmer a day and a glimmer is this micro moment when you have a, a, a ventral experience and um, it often the places we find those in the in the beginning are through nature or through art or through music right so not with people not relational but nature art music can pretty predictably bring a moment um, and even in nature it's been lovely to to read the research that it doesn't have to be actual out in nature, it can be nature images that you find in a book or on the screen, right? So there are lots of ways to make this accessible. And one of the things I would invite you to do would be to play around with that. You know, play around with, you know, dipping into nature, art and music and just notice, ooh, was there a moment when I feel, you know, not wonderful, magical, you know, beautiful, but when I feel safe enough, when, when I'm not in that sympathetic dorsal loop when something else, and just start to um, notice those and document those. And when I say document, um, it could be simply keeping a notebook. It could be um, putting a check mark on a list. It could be writing a word or, or a color. There any way that you can document because we want to begin to then see it and track it. So that's one thing I would do. And what I discovered is as we find a glimmer, the nervous system then begins to look for more. So it's sort of a, it begins this process of, of finding glimmer. So I would suggest that you, you begin with that perhaps and, and just see what happens around that. And then also remember this, it's a, it's a, um, it, you have to be patient and persistent when you're trying to reshape a, a nervous system that's um, really created this loop. And so, you know, maybe, maybe there's somebody else um, in your world who you might say, you know, want to look for a glimmer, right? Want to share the glimmers because that brings that connective piece together. And, you know, if you have a therapist, it could be your therapist. I've done that with my clients often. You might have a friend who, who would be curious as well, but, you know, find some way of, of having a connection around that too. That's where I would start something very small that, that feels you know, almost like, wow, will that do anything? Because the answer is yes. It it will actually gently interrupt and begin to make a difference. Oh, thank you so much for that. That's so good. Okay, let's see here. Can our, I think you just answered that. 
<laughs> the question, you did just answer it. It says, can our responses change with just practicing regulating tools on a regular basis? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, and it, it sounds simple. It is not easy to do, right? As all of us know, you know, we find something that, that works and then we have to build a practice of doing it. And it's really hard to do this. So I, I actually love that question because it leads me to talking about how do you partner with your nervous system to build a practice rather than partnering with your brain? Right, because my brain can say, "Ooh, I know this is good good for me, so I'm going to do it three times a day." Right, my nervous system, on the other hand, says, "Ooh, this feels like it might be good. Maybe I could try it on for size." Right, and what do we do? We go with the brain, and so we we write this intention, right, and then we can't we can't meet it because our nervous system is is going to um, override your brain. Right. And that's really what happens. I, I, I like to you know, have that image of my brain and my nervous system having an argument. Right. And my nervous system is going to win that argument every time. Right. Because it's simply going to take me to a state where I am protected. And, you know, I might be able to go through the motions of doing a practice, but it's not really touching me in that way. So, you know, um, yes, we reshape by doing small things over and over and over. We know that. And, you know, when I'm working with people and we say, well, you know, what's the practice that you'd like to try this week? And we identify it. And then we say, well, let's make an agreement with your nervous system. And I'll say, so where do you want to start? And the client usually says, well, I'll do it twice a day. And I said, great. And I said, so I'm going to see this aloud to you and I want your nervous system to respond. Right. And I'll say it. You know, you're going to do this twice a day. How does your nervous system respond? And, and clients will sometimes say, yeah, that's okay. But often they'll say, yeah, no. <laughs> right. So, you know, we, we, we have a communication back and forth because the purpose of, of this agreement is to be successful. Right. Because otherwise, if I'm just lighting up the survival pathways again, I'm just deepening you know, that, that pattern of protection and I don't want to do this. So, you know, get to know your nervous system and have a conversation with it and get to know how does your nervous system say yes, right? That's the other thing we need to do. How does your nervous system say yes, right? How does it say no, right? You begin to have this experience, an embodied experience where your nervous system says no, right? In various intensities, right? Or your nervous system says yes in various flavors of yes, or it says maybe, right? And I've, you know, I keep telling people, if your nervous system says no, you know, honor that wisdom, right? It's telling you that for a reason and let's just move on. If it says yes, go for it. If it says maybe, that's something to play with. So it's important, again, as we're getting to know the nervous system, to know this as well, and then create an agreement so that you can practice regularly and begin to to build in these skills. The other thing I would say is that there are a ton of practices, you know, that, that, you know, we can engage in. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing and creating practices, I like to create lots of different ones because I know that nervous systems, you know, say yes or no to, to different ones. I want to give people a menu. And that's what I think we all need. We need a menu of practices because some mornings I get up and I think, Oh, I have lots of energy. I want to do this one. Right. I want to go, you know, for me, walk the beach. That's a lovely regulating practice. And other mornings I'll say, I don't have time or I don't have energy. So I'm going to listen to music instead. So, so you have to have a, a range of practices, you know, a, a, a resourcing menu. 
Good. Yes. Yeah. So let's see here. Am I, this is another question, am I going to have to tolerate the anxiety and activation that comes with putting myself out there? How do I put myself out there without feeling extremely activated for days after it? Yeah. And, and for me, that, that, that's your nervous system saying that was, that was um, too much, right? And and we need to listen to that. So, you know, if we talk about what does putting yourself out there mean, right? And and in an experience where the nervous system takes days to recover, putting yourself out there was was way too big, right? So, what's the? We start with a small um, moment of putting yourself out there. What might that mean? You know, maybe it's maybe it's um, you know being around other people. Maybe it's um, engaging in a phone call. Maybe it's, you know, and then you work your way towards the bigger putting yourself out there. Um, you know, it's interesting because we, we, we so want to push through, to power through, don't we, to, to get our end result. I want to be out there, right? But the nervous system says, you know, okay, we need to do this slowly, right? And the nervous system doesn't work on the no pain, no gain um, way of thinking, right? The nervous system says, if you stretch me beyond a certain point, I'm simply going to take you into a survival response where no change can happen. So if it takes you, you know, days to recover from being out there, either because you went to dorsal disappearing or to sympathetic anxiety, right? Your nervous system is telling you, um, we need to rethink how we're doing this. It's not saying you can't get there. It's simply saying we need to find a different pathway to travel more slowly. Yeah. So again, for that listener, your nervous system is telling you really important things. So now we have to figure out how do we help you listen and again, find the, the, the just right experience, right? Because that was too much. Yeah. That's that's so beautiful and so applicable to so many things. I mean, I could understand getting out there. That's a huge one for people, especially if they were not allowed to be seen in the in the past. It was dangerous. But that also, I see, applies to everyday living. For a lot of people, they can, you know, I've got my list of things to do, and they go towards it, and suddenly they find themselves in freeze. Yes. So, what is the nervous system, you know, telling themselves? It's the same kind of thing. Whoa. Right, right. Overwhelming. Yeah. Right. And when we listen, and it's interesting because when I, when that happens for me, I kind of back up and and reflect on um, even the process of making my list. And if I had listened when I was making my list, I would not have made the list I made because my nervous system was already saying, you know, you know, yes, all these things are important. Maybe, maybe break them up or put them on, you know, so it, it, it depends on where we enter into the listening you know, if we can enter in when the nervous system is, you know, speaking softly, that's great. And if we don't, it's just going to speak louder and louder and louder until it's, it's really screaming at us, which is that, you know, you know, dysregulation and taking a long time to come back. So, and, and I'm not perfect at listening when it's whispering. I have to say, you know, it, it often has to get pretty loud for me to go, oh, right, I should have paid attention. So, yeah, but it's, it's, it's something to work toward, right? Right. Yes, yes, yes. And I love that you used the word softer or gentler. That is totally a friend of mine who's wrote, wrote a book called Try Softer. It's about trauma recovery. And 
that just that whole idea of approaching this in a softer way is already soothing for our nervous yeah. system. Yeah. And to understand that the softer way is, is really the, the um, is not only safer, but it's going to be faster in the long run because, you know, slower is faster is one of the mottos we have in, in working with trauma, right? We, we go slowly, we, we create safety, we, we connect gently. It's a soft way and then things move more quickly. So, you know, not only because, you know, clients come to us and, and you know, say, but I want, I, here's what I want to get. Right. So why are we doing this when I want to do this? And to understand the biology underneath, it really helps that once we, you know, get your nervous system to be our ally in this, everything's going to go so much faster. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, so here's another one. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know if you can answer it. Maybe you could just say something. How do I make safe connections after a lot of bullying, mother issues, rejection in the past. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a challenge, isn't it? Because, you know, in, in some ways, if we, you know, think about it, your nervous system has learned, you know, and now has what we call a neural expectation, that connection with people is, is unsafe, right? And so you're going to move into a pattern of protection, you know, because of experience. The nervous system learns through experience. And so it has created this, this um, way of responding that makes perfect sense. I tell that all the time to my clients. I say, well, that makes perfect sense, right? Through, through the lens of your nervous system, of course. So first of all, it makes perfect sense. Doesn't make it any easier, but makes perfect sense. And then what do we do? And, and again, it's, it's these ways of finding micro moments with certain people who you can practice coming into a moment of safe connection. Um, if, if you have a therapist, your therapist is the place to experiment with that, right? That's what I was always doing with my clients. We, we would play around with, let's find a moment and, and let's notice, oh, I'm in ventral and you just joined me in ventral. And let's just see what that feels like. And I had a client for whom that was really difficult, right? Um, grew up in a dangerous world, was still living in a somewhat dangerous world. And we'd have these moments of landing in ventral together and, and, and notice that how wonderful it was and how challenging it was and how quickly her system moved back out of it, which again, perfect sense, right? And so we just made an agreement that we just notice the moments. And over time, <clears throat> there were more of them and then they lasted longer. And so, you know, this relationship was the sort of the, the testing relationship to see, you know, how do we play around with this? And then we began to find other people who she could safely begin to have that connection with. So it's important to find somebody in the beginning that you can sort of experiment with. Therapist, if you have one, um, maybe there's a, a friend you know, that, that you can invite in. It, 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 and it really is in finding that very first person who's safe enough to experiment with that, that can be the most challenging. Yeah. You just reminded me of something you taught. I, I took the, the course with you, the foundations, and <clears throat> you talked a lot about reciprocity because a lot of people are not used to having these, especially if they grew up with, you know, parents who were narcissistic or tendencies, whatever. And then they find that they're in these friendships that are very much like what they grew up with. So safe connections. Could you talk to us just a bit about what is, like you talked about nourishing for the soul, nourishing for our nervous system. And mm -hmm. how would that be for a friendship? What is reciprocity? 
Yeah, and <clears throat> reciprocity is such a, a lovely experience. And it's not a, a one-on-one, I offer, you receive, you offer, I receive. It, it doesn't work in that, you know, direct one-to-one way. It's, it's more of a, um, there's a balance there, there's a flow. Right. There's an ebb and flow that happens in reciprocity. And, you know, in the beginning of, of, of friendship, I may be the one who's offering more and then I'm the one that's receiving more. Right. And so, so we have to feel that balance for many of us. If, if we've always been on the end of, on the giving end, right. We, and we find friendships where the person is, is wanting. Right. And so there truly isn't reciprocity. It's more, it's a, it's an out of balance. I give, you receive. Right. And that's not a reciprocal relationship. And so it doesn't mean that it couldn't change into it, but it, what it tells me usually is that the other nervous system is dysregulated and can't come to a place where it can regulate enough to offer because reciprocity can only happen from ventral. Right. So it's a great measure of moments of ventral. I can, I can offer and I can receive, you know, from these places of ventral and it feels there's a balance there. So yes. And, you know, our nervous systems feel comfortable with um, other nervous systems that are similar to the ones we grew up with. Right. So if I grew up with a system that was always demanding, was needy in that way, automatically needy, then, you know, when I find people who are like that and enter into a friendship, it feels familiar. Right. Doesn't nourish my, my system, but it feels familiar. And so we, we want to begin to separate familiar and not nourishing. And then what do we what can we find that's nourishing and have that become familiar? So that's sort of what we're doing. But, you know, look for, um, you know, the give and take in a relationship. And if you're the one who's always giving, that's something to consider. If you're the one that's always feeling like I need to take, another thing to consider, right? And the, and the balance, we lean one way and then we lean another way. And so, you know, sort of over time, because a moment in time is, is never how we're measuring the nervous system. Right. We need, we need a, a period of time to see the patterns unfold. Right. So it may be that this week, you know, I'm the one who's giving to my friend. Right. And, and if I just look at this week, it looks like a very out of balance relationship without reciprocity. But if I look at a, a month spread, right. Oh, there was a lot of reciprocity back and forth. It just happens that this week, my friend really is in need. Right. So, so expand the period of time so that you can see a, the pattern of a relationship. That's great. So I think I have maybe one or two questions left. Um, somebody wrote here, how do I understand and come out of freeze when I have lived in freeze most of my life? That's yeah. a big one. <laughs> That yeah, and and again, not an unfamiliar question, right? Um, so many people, the nervous system has taken you to, um, to that place of of freeze. And I'm going to assume that that this um, listener is, is talking about the dorsal freeze, the collapse, um, the disconnect. And your nervous system learned to take you there probably a long time ago. You know, for for many of us who had trauma as kids, that is the place. Because, you know, as a kid, you, you're, there's a power differential in your world and, and escape is often not possible. And so the escape, the dorsal rescue, so to speak, is to take you into disappearing, right? And so it, it becomes wi- a wired in 
survival response that we go to easily, right? Uh, doesn't mean you won't be able to reshape that response. It probably means that you'll have more of a tendency to go there when challenged, which is fine. You know, I, I talk in, in the trainings about um, we, we're, our home is in ventral, that place where we feel regulated and safe. And we all have the ability to get there, right? The pathways live inside us. We just need to have help in uncovering them. We also have what I call a home away from home. And for this listener, your home away from home is dorsal collapse, that free state, which simply means that when you encounter a challenge in your life, you're, you're going to end up in that home away from home because it's very familiar, Right. Um, so how, how do we begin to to come out of that? And, and I think when that has been the place that you have spent so much time in the beginning, you need a guide to go with you to get out of that place. So for 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 you, I would really encourage you to find a, a, a good therapist. Right. Um, or a friend who is truly anchored in ventral and can be with you because it's hard to, to find the way from collapse through some of that mobilizing energy of sympathetic and not get overwhelmed in that, right? So that we, we can, because in, in that freeze, you don't have enough energy to run your system. So we have to bring some energy in. And how do we do that in a way that's modulated enough to not feel terrifying, right? So in the beginning, if you can find a, um, a good um, guide someone to go with you to, you know, I think my clients, when they went to dorsal, I would go be with them, right? I'm anchored in ventral, but I could be with them and let them know I'm here with you. And as your system begins to, you know, be ready, I can guide us back. Right. And that's the experience the nervous system needs because it can't do it on its own. It's, 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 it's so far away from regulation. If you look at it on the hierarchy, Right. It's the furthest place away from regulation, you know, so it's very hard to get back on our own. So see if you can find someone to to navigate that with you. So I'm curious. So then would you do with your clients practices of um, sort of imagining that you are in? Okay. Wow. Yeah. And imagining is a beautiful thing to do in dorsal because, again, it takes very little energy to imagine. I can't enact the movement. I can't enact the experience, but I can imagine it. And so, you know, for many people, if you've had a, a moment where you felt safe with another person, you can imagine that you, because it's already living inside your nervous system, right? You're not, you're not making something up. It's an experience you had. And if you bring it back to life through imagining, your nervous system will begin to feel some of that safe energy. So imagining is a beautiful way to begin. Yeah. Yes, I love that. Okay, so for the last one, I want to get a really big, juicy one. <laughs> uh, let's see. So I have two, between attachment and boundaries. Um, I think the question was, how do we understand either boundaries or attachment? You don't have to answer both. Um, whichever one you want, through a polyvagal lens. Yeah, and well, you know, they, they, they sort of go together. And what I would say, I, let me play around with both. What I'd say about attachment first is that, you know, there, there aren't um, studies really research about, you know, certain states and attachment styles. Although, you know, we see 
I think, you know, for ourselves uh, and when we look at attachment styles, you know, if you um, were um, lucky enough to have a caregiver who was regulated, right, and anchored in ventral and could offer that regulating energy for you, you're likely to have a, a secure attachment, right, because secure attachment needs ventral um, regulation to to um, come to life. So that's, that's a pretty clear one. I think the, you know, disorganized attachment is a, is one of those times when we loop between um, sympathetic and, and dorsal, right? Sympathetic need, need, need. There's this desperate need that, that is energized. And then dorsal is this disappear, disconnect. And I think there's probably some, some, some of that going on, um, you know, for the, um, anxious, ambivalent, and the avoidant, it's interesting because sometimes, you know, I would see clients whose sympathetic nervous system was was sort of on overdrive and they were they were raised um, in a family where, where the primary caregiver had a lot of sympathetic going on and that brought that anxious, ambivalent experience to life. And then for others who were raised by a parent who had a lot of dorsal not really there, right, then it was more the avoidant because an avoidant, Attachment style simply says, I can't depend on you, so I have to depend on me, right? And, and with someone who's dorsal, I can't depend on you because I can't even find you, right? And then for the anxious ambivalent, the, the you know, belief is, um, you know, there's, there's this, this, I don't know who I am I'm try- unless I know who you are. Right. So I have to depend on you to figure out who I am. And that's more of that, that sympathetic, um, mobilized, chaotic energy that we're trying to figure out. So, you know, as Dan Siegel says, um, that fusion creates confusion. And that's that sympathetic, you know, swirl that goes on. So, you know, if we think about attachment generally, I I would think about it in that way. Um, And then if we think about boundaries, again, a boundary setting from a polyvagal perspective is is a fascinating um, exploration because from ventral I can set a clear boundary right I can I can let you in I can keep you out I can you know any I can make it bigger or smaller and it's all done from a place of feeling regulated so it's there's it's not an angry or a or a um you know um collapsing thing it's simply I, I make up my mind right because I'm in ventral my prefrontal is working with me Right. And my cortex says yes. And my nervous system says this is what we need in order to stay here. Um, from sympathetic and dorsal, I can't do that. From dorsal, I really can't create boundaries because I'm not really here. And people don't, people can't feel my boundaries because it's so amorphous. And from sympathetic, you know, the boundaries are, are, are messy because they're so um, energized in an intense either fight, which is that, you know, stay out of my space. Or a flight, you know, I, I, the, the, I there is, I'm, I'm leaving this space. I can't connect. So again, it's a great exercise to play with, which, which you know, your listeners can play with themselves. Is, you know, imagine setting a boundary from each of those three states and see what happens, right? And you'll really feel, you know, that dorsal, you know, sort of floaty thing. I, I don't even know the world exists, so there's no boundary, right? You don't exist, so forget boundaries and then sympathetic feel how your system um, brings to life a, a sympathetically charged boundary. Is it an anxious one? 
or is it an angry one? Because those are the two pathways. And then end in ventral, which we always want to do when you're playing with something, end in ventral and see what setting a boundary from ventral would, would feel like, would sound like, would look like, how, what, what happens there. Yeah. Oh, great. Thank you so much for answering these questions and spending time with us today. So appreciative of your work. So, Deb, if people want to find out more about what's happening, what's going on with uh, your trainings, uh, your offerings, where can they find you? Great. Yes. Um, Rhythmofregulation.com. And actually, um, we just um, redid the website. And so I'd love to have people come and, and, and see it because it was it was one of those um, long experiences of trying to find you know, the image or the word or the, so that for me, my ventral would say yes. So yes, rhythmofregulation.com. Lovely. And I also want to mention that uh, you have some books. Are, are your books for not just therapists, but for everyone? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the first, the um, polyvagal theory and therapy and polyvagal exercises were written for a clinical audience, but um they really can be used by any anyone. Um, I have a book coming out in November from Sounds True, which is called Anchored, and that is written fully for a general audience. So that's kind of fun to to think about. Um, but I have I have heard from so many um, people who you know are on the client side of of the experience, or the I like to say the curious human being side, not the not the therapist side, who who have um, you know write to me about the especially the polyvagal exercises book because you know there's so many easy to use. They, they were really written to be done between sessions. So they're, they're user-friendly. So 